You're listening to Gate City Podcast, and in this episode, we're wrapping up our series on growing in the prophetic with Billy Humphrey. For more information on our church and house of prayer, please visit GateCityATL.com. Lord, oh, I'm so grateful. My heart's so full. So thankful for what you just did. Salvation to all those men. Glory to God. Thank you. Now, Lord, just release revelation on the word this morning that we be edified, strengthened in our hearts. Lord, hold my hand. Let me speak as an oracle. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So I'm wrapping up um, the series we started a few weeks ago on growing in the prophetic, prophetic ministry. And then, of course, last week we had a time of processing what we experienced uh, after having uh, Chris Reed here and the prophetic ministry that we experienced. And so ten, uh, this morning, I want to just wrap up and give a little bit of vision I want to talk about how to, how to apply prophetic words, how biblically how we're called to look at pro- prophetic words and apply them, and what the, the biblical pattern is. And if we have time, I want to share at least one uh, profound dream that I had earlier this year. So we'll just jump right in. I'll encourage you to get the notes and um, make your way through them. I won't be able to hit all of them this morning. Also, I want to say this, that the notes that Hazen gave uh, two weeks ago, 10 pages of notes, they were excellent notes. So if you, uh, if you need those notes, they, they should be available online, or you can just um, email the, the info and, oh, there they are, today's notes, there it is. That's, but those will be mine, but you can probably email our info line, get those notes if you haven't got them. I want to encourage you to grab Hazen's notes. All right, let's look at one passage, Ephesians 3. And I just love these verses in Ephesians 3 because what they do is they show us Paul's specific commission in the gospel. And I think they kind of serve as a sort of a thesis or a mission statement of the gospel. When we're proclaiming the truth of the word of God, it kind of gives us this foundational twofold commission that we all have. So Ephesians 3, verse 8, here's what Paul said. This is the ESV. He said, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, and he's going to say two things, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. He goes, there's two things. He goes, I'm supposed to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and to let everyone understand. I want to help people to understand God's unfolding plan, he says, of the mystery, which he explains a few verses earlier, but basically it's the unfolding plan of the gospel, okay? Two things, I'm going to preach Jesus and I'm going to help everyone know the unfolding plan. That's important, isn't it? Especially when we're looking at the Bible as a narrative and we understand that there's doctrine in the Bible, we understand the Bible is helpful for devotion, but there's an unfolding narrative of the kingdom. That's what Paul literally said. He goes, I wanna direct everyone into the knowledge of Jesus and his word, and then I wanna explain for people the unfolding of the kingdom of God. And so when I think about prophetic ministry, 
I think it should do those things. It should direct us into Jesus and his word, and it can help us and exhort us into the unfolding plan and our little role in it, our little piece in it. And, and really, I think it can get really simple if, we, if, if in our minds we use Ephesians 3, 8, and 9 sort of as a filter to understand that's why God gives us prophetic ministry, directing us into Jesus, the riches of who he is, the, the knowledge of him, the depths of his word, and our place in the unfolding drama of the kingdom of God. How many of you know there's an unfolding drama taking place right now? You know, we've been um, really clear. I just want to say it again. But we're living in days of wonder. We're living in days of, of power and glory, stunning days that the Lord is moving in dynamic ways. But there are also days of trial and challenge. And we believe this. We're biblically convinced that as we continue to move closer to the day of the Lord, there's going to be days of great glory and grace and beauty also mingled with great days of trial and challenge and difficulty, these things are going to be happening together. It'll be the church's finest hour. It'll be the earth's most difficult hour. There will be a billion soul harvest that'll come into the kingdom of God amidst all sorts of shakings and, and tumults. We've come to the place where it's, you just gotta get it. There's a massive revival to come, but it's not just the happy run around the room that will be mixed with much trial and challenge. Can I get an amen right there? And we understand this is what the Bible describes will happen as we get closer to the day of the Lord. So when we think about prophecy, it's going to direct us into that unfolding narrative that the Bible gives us. It's going to direct us into the knowledge of Jesus, his word, and that unfolding narrative. And, and to me, one of the most interesting things that the bridged, and then, you know, maybe as you're processing, you say, what's the takeaway? What, what, what do I do with that? Well, the takeaway is that you're struck with awe and wonder of the knowledge of Jesus, that he's great, he knows, he sees you, and he's calling you into the unfolding drama of the kingdom. And so often people are like, well, no, there's got to be some cosmic meaning. All the planets, you know, and things and wild angels flying stuff. And, and that's not really the point. The point really is he's calling you into the story. He's calling you into the drama. And then sometimes he'll give you specific things that he wants you to do, that's your assignment, but, you know, it's the hope of his calling. It's not the hope of our calling. And so we're called into his story. So whatever your specific assignment is, it's in the unfolding narrative of the kingdom. Does that all make sense? And so it's not some, you've got a special ministry over there, and then there's this kingdom thing happening. No, no. It's always his calling and our little part in his story, right? And I think that's super helpful to, to give us clarity because when the Lord is speaking prophetically, that's what he does. So when I think about the biblical examples of this, I just want to tease out a few of them. And then I want to just narrow in on some of the things the Lord's spoken to us as a spiritual family. 
But when I think about the biblical examples, we see this in play in the scripture when it comes to prophetic ministry. So in the notes, I give three examples. I give Jesus appearing to the disciples on the road to Damascus. I give uh, Paul's, I mean, on the road of, uh, to Emmaus. I give Paul's calling on the road to Damascus. And I give Peter's encounter on the rooftop in Joppa. And each of these, here's what happens. The Lord dynamically breaks in. He speaks prophetically in different ways. And he clarifies each of those individual, their part in the broader story. Okay? So when Jesus appeals, uh, appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he directs them into the knowledge of him and into the scriptures through the Bible. Just, just think about this. Just think this is just amazing. The risen Christ shows up and he says, okay, guys, what's the matter? And they said, don't you know about everything that's been happening, how this, this prophet Jesus was put to death? And, he, and they can't tell that it's Jesus. He's, he's hidden his glory from them. He's appeared in a, in a form that they can't recognize him. And he goes, you guys are slow of heart to believe. I think at that moment, they should have caught it. He's like, I already know you guys. You just don't, you just have a hard time getting on with it. But the Bible says that he began to, from the, the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. Now just, you just, just it, it, it just, it, it's mind-boggling that the risen Christ shows up. This is a massive prophetic encounter. And then he opens the Bible with them. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, so you would think the risen Christ is going to show up and he's going to just, you know, rip open the veil and say all these incredibly mystical, who knows what it means kind of things. No, he takes them right to Moses, the book of Genesis, all through the prophets, and he's expounding about himself through the scriptures. And it's so anointed. Now just think about this. It's so anointed. Their hearts are on fire with the word. Okay, watch. Jesus disappears in front of them. Have you ever had somebody disappear in front of you? No, me neither. But if I did, I'd say, dude, did you just see that guy disappear? That's not what they said. Jesus disappears in front of them, and they say, didn't our hearts burn? Their burning hearts, because of the revelation of the word of God, was more shocking to them than a disappearing man right in front of them. It's the most massive prophetic encounter you could have and they are so directed into the knowledge of Jesus and his word through that prophetic encounter. That's what prophecy should do for us. Direct us into the word, direct us into the knowledge of Jesus. Okay, same thing, Paul. Paul is on the road to Damascus. He's on his way to arrest and hopefully kill more Christians in his mind. And Jesus appears to him, knocks him off the horse. And he says, Paul, it's hard for you to basically to fight against me, isn't it? This is difficult on you, Paul. He goes, it's going to get harder. You need to go in my direction. And then Jesus is going to give Paul specifics 
about Paul's part in the unfolding of the gospel. And the very next thing he says to Paul, he goes, all right, go into Damascus and you'll be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And later Paul would expound and he would say that he told me I was going to be a, a witness to Gentiles. Now, there's so many Bible verses that explain that the gospel is going to the Gentiles. What Jesus does with Paul, and again, another tremendous prophetic encounter is he goes, this is your part in the story. Your part in the story is to take the gospel to Gentiles. Yeah, I, I know that you are a Pharisee of Pharisees. I know that you're from a Jewish lineage. You are my chosen vessel. You're gonna suffer for my name and you're gonna take the gospel to Gentiles. And so again, what we see is Jesus giving an, an exhortation to Paul about how Paul is going to engage with the unfolding narrative of the kingdom. Does that make sense what I'm showing you? Third one, Peter's encounter on the rooftop in Joppa. Now this is stunning because, you know, Paul has his Damascus road in Acts 9 and, and you can read what happens with Paul there. It gets really rocky. Well, Peter, he's in Joppa. He's in a moment of prayer. And, and the Bible calls it, a, he goes into a trance. Now, if that word bothers you, just take it up with the scripture. He goes into a trance, which is, he's kind of in that, I think of that as that in-between sleep and awake kind of place. Goes into a trance and he has a vision. And the vision, honestly, it's pretty cryptic. A sheet is unfurled, and there's all, it's like a giant picnic, and he's got like fat back and pork ribs and oysters and all sorts of stuff on there, shellfish. And the Lord goes, it's, it's, a, it's a buffet for you, Peter. He goes, go ahead. He goes, you can have this. He actually goes, rise, kill, and eat. They're actually not pork ribs. They're actually pigs. But he goes, rise, kill, and eat. And he goes, not so, Lord. Nothing unclean's ever come into my mouth. And the Lord goes, hey, 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 what I've cleansed, don't call it unclean. And then he's going to give him a specific word. He goes, arise, go downstairs, and go with them. There's men at the door. Doubt nothing for I've sent them. And of course, the guys were there knocking on the door from Cornelius's house, and these were Gentiles. He should not have gone with them, according to Jewish law. He shouldn't have gone into their house, according to Jewish law. Instead, the Lord tells him, this is your portion in the unfolding of the gospel to the Gentiles. I want you to go. And what we end up with is in Acts 10, 44, the Gentiles get a Pentecostal experience just like the Jews got in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They all get born again and baptized in the Spirit in one moment. And Peter said they, that the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he had fallen on us at the beginning. And so you see this interesting thing where the Lord, he shows up in these dramatic prophetic encounters, but he's always, hear me, He's always directing us into the word, into the knowledge of him, and to his unfolding plan of the kingdom. Does that make sense? 
And so if you get prophetic stuff that's directing you somehow away from Jesus, away from his unfolding plan, then that's not a biblical prophetic thing, okay? It's prophecies for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And that's, that's what this, this is how it plays out. It, it, it's experienced this way, into the word, into the knowledge of Jesus, and into his unfolding plan. And I just really, really want to get that clear because no matter what, when you talk about prophecy, people will say, oh, well, you're putting prophecy over the word of God. I can't say it any clearer, but I'll just say it again. We strongly affirm that prophetic words do not hold the same authority as the scriptures. The scriptures are first in authority. They're an infallible guide to truth and this life, how to live it in the kingdom. And prophetic words direct us into the word, into the knowledge of Jesus, and into the unfolding plan of the scripture. Amen. Now, with that said, we love the gifts of the Spirit. We love the way the Holy Spirit moves. We love that God heals people in a service, and then we share the gospel from that, and then people get saved. We absolutely love that. And we want more of that. We want the Lord to show up and show out. We love that. So all that to say this, that we want to value the gifts of the Spirit. We want to value prophecy. And with that in mind, the Lord has spoken many, many times to us in a broad variety of ways about who we are as a spiritual family and our little part and the unfolding story of the kingdom of God. Now, we know that there's a massive Gentile harvest coming. In fact, Romans 11, 25, and 26 says that there is going to be a fullness of Gentiles that will come into the kingdom. A massive revival is going to hit the planet, and then all Israel shall be saved. And we know that we want to get in on that, on that massive harvest of souls. And the Lord has spoken to us prophetically in so many ways that we're to contend and, and lean in and believe God for a breakthrough in our field, in our region. And, and I look at the metro Atlanta area, that's our field. Amen. That's, wh that's where we live. That is where we're called. It's our field. And it's what God has spoken to us to take responsibility for in the kingdom. Now, there's many churches across the metro area, and we're in relationship with so many of them, and, and, and we, we lock arms with them and agree for the Lord to, to have his way in the city, a massive harvest, and, and, and many souls saved and discipled. But we have our specific assignment. And one of the details of the assignment the Lord has given us is that we're to take the gospel, not just for us here in Lawrenceville, and we're to, we're to take the prayer meeting that we have that's 24-7 that takes place right here. And it's not just for this place in Lawrenceville. That he wants to take it and he wants to multiply it around the city. And part of our vision is that the Lord wants to give us five 24-7 churches around the city. Can somebody say amen? Now, listen, that might sound like, oh, praise God, brother. Listen, I only know of two in the entire nation. So when I say God wants to give us five in this city, that's way beyond what we could possibly pull off, which lets me know it's probably God's vision. You know, God doesn't give you a vision that's like something you could, you know, fulfill that afternoon. 
He gives you a vision that's only possible by his power and his grace. And you just have to say yes and trust in him and that, that he'll bring it to pass. He'll bring the resource, the personnel, the clarity, the wisdom, the strategy. And all we can offer is yes. Well, I'll tell you this and I'll wrap up. I know it's, we've already had a, a lot of awesome stuff this morning, but I'll tell you this dream that I had earlier this year. And I've shared uh, in previous messages about the vision the Lord had given me in 2003. And it's in the notes. I wrote it out if you want to read it again for yourself. The Lord had given me this vision about how racism and religion were the two major principalities over the city and that he wanted to tear them down over the city of Atlanta. And he wanted to raise up five 24-7 churches with night and day worship and prayer to tear down racism and religion and remove the spirit of death off the city of Atlanta. I had that vision in 2003. Well, on April 9th this year, I'll just share the dream and then we'll pray into it. April 9th, it was the 40th day of a 40-day fast that started March 1st. And we um, really didn't share it much, but I ended up with 100 people who participated in that fast with me just from our spiritual family in some form or fashion. Many of you jumped in on that in some, some way. Well, you know, a lot of times in a 40-day fast, uh, you, you know, you hope God will do something dramatic. But many times, uh, you know, I've had these experiences, these long fasting seasons, and it just, it, not much happens. You just, you get real skinny, and you pray, and you don't have much to show for it. It's just what happens. Well, this, this last 40-day fast that I did, and that many of you did, uh, it was different. The Lord dramatically started meeting me with power in different ways and prayer and intercession and tears and travail. And on day 40, I had a dream. And in the dream, it was so fun. In the dream, I was at this mortgage lender's office and uh, I was signing the paperwork for five lake houses. And uh, I was looking at how much each lake house costs and the price of the first one. And I was like, whoa, that's real expensive. But everything, every part of the dream was met with this sense of joy and excitement. And I remember I was in the mortgage lender's office. I go, I don't know how I'm going to pay for these. I guess God's got the money. And so I, I start signing the paperwork and I sign off and I say, okay, we're going to buy all five of them. So I said, all right, let's go. And let's look at the first lake house. And I show up at this lake house. It's real interesting. It's got this amazing basement. Now, in dream language, the Lord has often used the basement to speak of the prayer room. He's just used that over and over and over and over. It's got this amazing basement, and the architecture is really interesting. And there's children's toys everywhere. And it's a, it's a cool house, but it's, it's got a family already living in it. And I thought, how did I buy this house? It wasn't even for sale. And I look out and there's this beautiful view of this lake. And all five of these houses are on this lake. As I'm looking out into the lake, I can see there are hundreds of eight-pound bass. Now, do I have any bass fishermen in the house? Okay, you know if there's a ton of eight-pound bass in a bass lake, 
that is a gold mine. All that's left at that point is just throw it in there because you're about to tear them up. I mean, I love bass fishing. And, uh, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And I'm just watching all these eight-pounders just, just swim by. And I'm thinking, this is the biggest catch of fish I've ever seen. And I was, my wife was in the dream. And I said, do you see all those fish? She goes, I see some of them. I go, there's thousands of them. And they were all different colors. They were spotted, and there was black, and there was yellow, and there was red, and there was green. And uh, I guess white people are green in the dream. (laughs) Black, yellow, red, green. (laughs) But uh, all different colors of fish, so many fish. And then um, one of our leaders shows up, and... And we have this dialogue, and I said, what do you think I'm doing here? He goes, you bought five lake houses, didn't you? I go, I did. I can't believe it. I did. And, uh, and we just laugh about it, and I, I wake up. And I wake up, and I'm so excited about my five lake houses, and I'm like, oh, no, it was a dream. <laughs> and then, but I'm like, oh, praise God. I don't have five mortgages that I have to figure out. And I instantly knew, I instantly knew the five lake houses represented the five 24-7 churches. And the lake was Atlanta. And the fish was every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. And it was our, it was on day 40 of this 40-day fast that the Lord gave me this strong exclamation point that he was indeed calling us to raise up these houses of prayer across the city these multiply into these churches that would host these 24-7 prayer gatherings and that there was gonna be a massive, massive catch of fish and it was gonna be all the cultures, all the different colors, all the different ethnicities and it was gonna be much joy and much excitement and it was gonna cost a lot. And so... I've got so much more to say about all of that. But this is who we are, Gate City. When Chris Reed was here, he says, the Lord has given you the keys to the city of Atlanta. He's given you a gate. And he says, and the opportunity is without limit. And I just believe this, that, of course, we don't have the resource right now, but God does. And we don't even have the know-how, but God does. But he's going to be gathering so many people, I believe, to the city and to this vision. And so many of you are going to be a part of seeing to it that there is five 24-7s around the city of Atlanta, that we're working to, to multiply our DNA here across the city, and that we're going to see racism and dead religion torn down over the spirit of Atlanta. And we're going to see the spirit of death torn down over the, spirit, over the city of Atlanta. And we're going to see a thrust of the power of the kingdom of God go forth like we've never seen before, beloved. Look, it's not going to happen through one culture. It's not going to happen through one denomination. It's going to take all of us together in a spirit of oneness that only the Holy Spirit can produce in our midst 
And it's going to come from the foundation of the basement of night and day worship and prayer. So I'm seeding that in the atmosphere to once again just sort of get your, get your vision focused on what God wants to make of us here at Gate City. He wants to multiply us across cultures. He wants to, he wants to thwart the religious spirit. And he wants to release the power of his kingdom in our city. And he's going to use night and day prayer and a community of believers with open hearts, that are vulnerable to one another and vulnerable to God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to do it. Amen and amen. All right, stand with me. That's the 30-minute version of a 60-minute message. As a preacher, it feels like you've got an itch that you never got to scratch, you know? But there's so much more coming. There's so much more coming. Our house churches are essential. Our services are essential. Our prayer room is essential. Our missions world is essential. Our emphasis on being a people of multiple cultures is essential. And I would just say this. What we have plowed for in in events and in prayer is walked out in relationships across cultures. It's walked out in families and, and friends of different cultures and, and, and different ethnicities all coming together under the banner of Jesus. Can I get an amen? And when we plant churches and we plant environments of multiple cultures together, it is going to shock something in the spirit across this city. It's what we're called to do. It's who we're called to be. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for how you've met us, how you meet us prophetically. You meet us with your word. You met us with your presence and worship and healing and salvation, deliverance today. Lord, cause our hearts to burn with a vision of what it can look like to multiply who we are all over this city. Lord, I confess we don't have the resources in our hand, so it's going to take you. It's going to take all of us saying yes. And as we develop a path over the next year to be able to plant and multiply, bring the resource, bring the people. God, mark hearts, those of us here, and so many that you want to add to say yes to the vision. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just even as we're praying into this right now, and if your heart resonates with this, I just want you to put a hand on your own heart. And and maybe you don't know exactly your portion, but you say, yes. You say, God, I want racism and religion torn down. I want the spirit of death torn down over the city. I want to see revival break forth. I want to be a part of this this vision and this story, just put your hand on your heart and just affirm it to the Lord. Lord, that's me. I want in. I want in. So Lord, here we are and we pledging our hearts to you. God, just make it so clear in the days ahead how you want us to engage, what you want to do, how you want to use us individually and corporately to see your kingdom come to see your will be done, to see the hope of your calling realized in this city.